Konnichiwa, it's the second leg of the flyaways and welcome to Japan. We're back with episode 12 of the RNF Unlock podcast and today's an interesting topic. 20 rounds, 17 countries, ever wonder how a MotoGP team moves around the globe? I'm Adam Wheeler, I'm joined today with none other than Wilco Zielenberg and RNF MotoGP team's coordinator Carl Meekin or just Stan. Uh, hello guys. Hello. Morning. Good morning. After doing a few of these uh, podcasts where we talk to riders and try to sort of get into a certain part of the sport that maybe fans know a little bit more about, this is something that's, I think, a bit more interesting and unusual. Um, Carl, first of all, why Stan? I mean, it's, it's not even close. <laughs> it's a bizarre nickname. Uh, just, it comes from being a kid growing up. I was a big Forest fan. And one of the main players at the time was uh, Stan Colomar, who you know, obviously. And uh, I kind of idolised him a bit, so everybody called me Stan. Even the teachers at school, everybody, everybody called me Stan. <laughs> not, not calling my mum yet, but my dad does, you know. <laughs> I even didn't know that. Uh, well, I mean, being a Queen's Park Rangers fan, I know all about Nottingham Forest <laughs> and who do they have over my club at their particular ground. So, um, yeah, we won't dwell on that too much. But listen, tell us a little bit about your, your story. Um, what exactly is it you're doing with the team? How long have you been involved? Yeah, I basically, I've been involved with RNF since the start, two, two years ago, kind of now. And then I did one year with Patronus, a little bit working with Wilco then. But started back in 1994. I was in the same class as Leon Haslam at school. Okay. And <laughs> okay. Kind, of, kind of went away with him for a weekend motocross racing. And then uh, I ended up living at his house mostly from then until I left school in 99 and then went to 125 World Championship. The, the day I got the exam results, I left school and I flew to Bologna to do uh, Mizano. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then never done anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I assume, um, you know, with a team as big and as comprehensive as this, I mean, there's over 30 staff members, uh, your strengths or your, your abilities are mainly organization, diplomacy, uh, yeah. you know, foresight, you know, predicting some uh, unexpected stuff. Yeah, you can, you can never try and predict it. Every day there's something, every day's a school day, isn't it? You know what I mean, you learn something new, especially coming somewhere like India and uh, last year Lombok and places like that, you, you just, you don't really know what to expect, but I mean, especially well, actually, uh, we, we predicted quite well. Yeah, it's pleasantly surprised here. We knew it? we knew to have a good hotel here, and we did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so finally we predicted, yeah. kind of, and it worked out quite well. And we managed like nearly a week. Everybody's dodged the old deli belly so far. I think, I think we've done all right. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, well, coming to Japan, at least it's a little bit more consistent. You know, you know yeah. what, what you're in for. But like India was a period of discovery, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a. Uh, but I think pleasantly surprised. I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as what everybody was uh, predicting, you know what I mean? I'd actually say it's been quite smooth, like it's been all right. Did you, I mean, experiences in Indonesia, that was a first. That was the new track last year for MotoGP, yeah. and this was the new one this year. I mean, from your point of view, Wilco, how was, how was, how was India? Yeah, I think Lombok, to compare Lombok with Delhi is a bit difficult because, uh, yeah, it's an island, basically, with... with uh, yeah, no people around and here it's, it's, it's crazy, you know, the traffic and everything else, uh, it's a big difference. Even track-wise, uh, I like both, so this, this is important for us as, as, as uh, motorsport fans, you know, we, we, we arrive here, we check the track, how is it, is the layout nice and safe and etc, etc. And 
yeah, that then already it makes uh, life a lot easier. Of course, the facilities here are good and in Lombok actually the same. So uh, we don't see a lot from the country. I have to say that too. No. The bus, the bus journey is about the most entertaining part of the day. Isn't it? Yeah, there's, there's something enlightening uh, every every time you sort of move from yeah. you know from Delhi to to Bud International Circuit. That's for sure. We've never been the same way twice. You know. <laughs> Stan, I mean, you looking after every facet of how the team moves. I mean, all the flights, hotels, absolutely everything, or is it more just the the hard logistics like freight? Um, you know, team buses and yeah, no, MIs. We do the obviously like the general logistics, so the flights, hotels, the rental cars or shuttles as it is here, and then the, when we're at the circuit, more of the freight because we haven't just got our air freight, the sea freight, and the dangerous goods for the fuel and things like that. So we do all that kind of stuff as well. I mean, the last Grand Prix before Indonesia, of course, was in Europe, was in Misano. Can yeah. you just give you know, some people listening to this podcast, some insights to what you had to get ready, you know, what had to go by boat and how how early it had to go yeah. and everything else. I mean, the boat stuff went from Magella, so that was when back in... Wow. Uh, so quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, you have to allow like at least four to five months to make sure it arrives. And then, obviously, Mizano was quite complicated as well because we had the test on the Monday. So the test engines and stuff like that, you don't really want to send uh, here. So after the test, you've got to make sure all the bikes have got the right engines in and all the correct engine numbers are in the right place because if you get checked, then that's going to hold up the freight arriving on time and stuff like that. And of course, we had seven rounds coming up overseas, which makes it also uh, yeah, difficult to judge what you need, you know, because finally you don't come back to Europe. And of course, uh, if you need extra fairings, we need to be ready and prepared to send some stuff as well. So... Uh, Saying that, we also had our new flight cases because of the new uh, format basically from Dorna that we get those four Q5s. So we had uh, extra work in the summer break, or Stan actually had that, I have to say. But uh, yeah, we, were, we are happy with the situation now. We can work quicker for ourselves as well, but also for Dorna. And we are much more on the weight limit that we don't spend too much uh, overweight as well. As fast as Raul and Miguel are on the bikes, I imagine you're just as you know, efficient with a spreadsheet, because I imagine everything must be logged, you know, the it's state. True. It's true. <laughs> One thing you'll learn about the Malaysian office is that I love a spreadsheet. Excel's got a lot better since I came here. Like. I mean, we're, we're British, and yeah. you know, with Brexit, the extra complications, I mean, the, the whole carnet process of justifying yeah. what you're carrying across country borders, that must be a major headache as well. No, is not too bad, because you do it once before the start of the year, and then, to be honest, we have a good uh, shipping agent who deals with that. To try and do that yourself would be nearly uh, impossible. We, we do do it ourselves for Silverstone, and it, it's all right. Now is this the third year we've done it, and it's quite straightforward because everybody knows what they're doing now. But the first year was everybody was quite nervous about uh, which place to go to. You know what I mean? And you just everybody says, "Oh, don't go here, but go there." But you just have to do your own thing and what works for you, like you know. I mean, moving the team overseas. Uh, I know Dorna have their system, like you mentioned it, Wilco, with you know the freight and the setup and everything like that. Uh, is it still quite tight to? get everything packed in and organised or is it actually a bit more fluid than people would imagine? Each box is made for a certain thing. So like 
you've got two boxes for the panels and then one box for this, and they're all labelled. And we have it where like two people's responsible for each box. So they'll start packing that, yeah. that. And that, I think... Yeah, it goes straight forward, actually. So there are many boxes, but not everybody is filling them up, you know? So it's each one has their own responsibility because yeah. otherwise it's a disaster. And actually to go overseas is faster than to load the trucks because basically uh, all those boxes need to go in the truck, you know, and, and here not. We just load the boxes and they stay behind. I mean, one thing I, I noticed from walking through the paddock and maybe fans do as well when they see the images on social media or the TV is the impressive setup that teams have aesthetically. I mean, you look in the pit box there, everything looks nicely presented. All that stuff, I guess, packs down almost like Lego, right? I mean, yeah. it's all... You know, as I say, yeah. the, the most important thing, everything's got to have a place. It's just to stop damage and then you don't forget anything either. If you do it the same every race in Europe or in Asia, or if you always do it the same, then you, you never forget anything. That's the most important uh, thing. And obviously, the more you do it, the quicker you get, because everybody knows the system. But it, it's true as well to set up a pit box. It's all magnets, you know? It looks like from the outside that it's all nice and packed, but it's all like click, 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 and the panels are from carbon, so very light. So one guy can set up the pit box basically, uh, I don't know what, yeah. even if one person could do it. So uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's a nice system. Uh, Wilco, I don't want you to sit here and say, oh yeah, during my day and be one of those kind of old guys. <laughs> but I mean, let's talk about the comparison between your racing days and now. It, it seems like uh, there's a lot more baggage around MotoGP. Yes, 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 there is. So of course, uh, you know, with all the restrictions and the rules and the material. So, yeah, when I was riding those 250s in the 90s, uh, I said one flight case, but maybe we had two or three. But now we bring 30 flight cases with us, to, and, and each one has his own goal, you know. So, uh, and the weight difference is, is huge. So, uh, this year, I think we bring nearly 10,000 kilo with us to India. And then it was maybe 1,500, 2,000 kilo, something like this, with the 250s, of course, which are lighter anyway. But also we brought two bikes, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of timely we're doing this podcast now because it is the most intense period of the season, isn't it? Uh, and hopefully next year we should see, well, the MotoGP Canon should be out, um, you know, shortly. But, uh, you know, is there any kind of stage of this seven spell of overseas races that you're slightly worried about or that's slightly more concerning when it comes to things arriving on time? The, the thing is, like, these seven races was already done... Like, as I say, Mugello, Saxon, Ringassen. Like, we're already thinking now mostly on Valencia and where the stuff's going from Valencia. You're not really thinking about Mategi because that's already uh, done. Like, we discussed, yeah. had a big discussion yesterday about what's going by sea to uh, Sepang for the first test. The test. What's not going to Sepang but going directly to Qatar. You, like, these races, yeah, we are here. But you're not really here. You're thinking about something what's way, way, way ahead. Yeah. You know? Are there any countries or borders from your past experience where you thought, oh, you know, we've had problems there in the past. I hope we get through all right. Checker used to be a pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> no, but still Argentina. And yeah. We were not sure here, of course, also with the visa. So there are countries that... They give you green light for things and it just doesn't happen. So, of course, we are worried, but it's for everybody a bit the same. But especially coming here, it looked like it was not for everybody, but just, you know, some visas were just not coming. And, uh, of course, also material-wise. 
uh, in the past we had uh, uh, Brazil, you remember, with, yeah. uh, with, uh, with the fuel and things, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, so far, uh, yeah, I, I have to say, if we need to travel to Jerez, it takes longer than to go to Qatar, for example. You know, because Qatar is a straight flight, uh, it's six, six and a half hour, and we are quicker in Qatar than we are in Jerez, all of us. So uh, the overseas are getting easier and easier, but of course the time difference makes it more difficult. And that's a good point from Qatar. There is no time difference, one hour. And, uh, but here uh, we go to Japan and Australia, and I'm a little bit worried how we are feeling uh, in Valencia, I have to say. <laughs> be quite tired, I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's the human side of it. There's also the technical side of it. I mean, Milka, you said you need to pack enough resources to get through this whole stint. But, I mean, is there a connection with base? I mean, if you need extra spares, if you need extra material, can... I, I assume this stuff can get on a plane, right? Yeah, yeah there's certain countries, not like Lombok. Yeah, you would, it's not so easy to send something direct to Lombok. We can, but the cost is uh, incredible. So... You do like ring certain races where you don't really want to send stuff to. So like we'll think, all right, okay, we'll call it three races at least. So here, Japan and uh, Lombok, but you can send stuff to Melbourne pretty easy because you can put it on a domestic flight. So if you need fairings from Aprilia or anything like that, to send them to Phillip Island is quite a simple process. Yeah. But trying to get them to an island in Lombok is... <laughs> Is not a, and the Indonesian authorities are quite strict as well, so you do try and avoid them. But. Is that also where the collaboration with Aprilia comes in, Wilco? I mean, if there if there is an absolute necessity for some help, then then they could step in. Well, yes, for that, yes, first of all, but also secondly, spare parts wise, you know, I think uh, both teams are able to build up two new bikes, you know, so they can build up two new bikes. We could build up two new bikes, so we have quite some spare parts. So uh, normally, you know, you, you, we have enough with us to help each other as well. So if we need something, they can help us. And if they need something extra, we can help them because many parts, of course, we have 22 bike and 23, but many bolts and nuts and brackets are exchangeable. So yeah, universal, I guess. Yeah. I mean, when it comes, well, we're talking about the flyaways because we're in the middle of it, but let's talk a bit about moving the team around Europe. I mean, everything's on wheels. And, yeah. and one aspect, I guess, setting up is a lot, it's a bigger job, but then more, maybe more simple because of the infrastructure now around, um, you know, it's sort of the, the trucks and everything. Yeah, the, yeah, it does take longer in Europe. We noticed that on Wednesday, like already lunchtime, we thought, ah, oh, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> And then, but normally in Europe, at five o'clock, you're still uh, running around a little bit. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, they're, bo they're both different, like, can you say, challenges. But it's kind of in three sections this year, isn't it? You do the first ones, the middle sector in Europe, and then the end in, uh, in Asia. So, yeah, but even like after Mizano, you still got to get the trucks to Valencia because we were away too long to get them together in there. So that was another thing we had to... The, well, the guys had to do so they only had a couple of days at home before then coming here like so there is a lot happens behind the the scenes that nobody really thinks about you know what i mean yeah i'm just some, thinking about the volume of stuff so some people fly to each race and then they don't really realize how it actually gets there you know what i mean there's yeah. a there's quite a lot goes into it the like truck that. drivers are having a, a difficult life you know they do because Many factory teams, they have their drivers just for the trucks, but actually we, make, we are in a combination. So the truck drivers normally are the tire guys. Yeah. We have one, one young guy, Colin and Martin, 
And I have to say chapeau because uh, yeah, they, these boys are driving the trucks and the trailers to the track. So they are always two, three days more away from home than we are. So this is uh, yeah, it's a big task. Is there a little bit more in terms of support staff at European rounds as well compared to overseas? Yeah, in, like in Valencia, we'll be about 49 people, 48, 49 people. But on the flyways, we're 30, between 30 and 35. It's just more for the, not so much the technical side, but more the hospitality side. You don't bring nowhere near as many people to, to these races as you do in uh, Europe. I mean, you still have the whole factor of the corporate entertainment, the guests and everything else, especially yeah. coming to Malaysia. So you, you can't really be too skeletal, really, with your setup and your presentation, can you? No. Some races you can say, like, bring more than others. You, you know what I mean? Like, we know in Japan we'll have no, no real guests. or So you, we probably are less staff in Japan than what we are in Sepang or uh, Lombok, because Lombok is, is quite a lot of it. Indonesian guests and things like that. Okay. Um, and Wilco, I mean, working with Aprilia this year is a change from, from your particular story of, of like Japanese to European. How, how is that different, um, especially dealing with the Asian leg of MotoGP? Uh, yeah, it's difficult to give a straight answer, but yeah, clearly what we see on track is basically also what we experience behind the scenes. You know, they are very interactive. So uh, it's, it's clearly uh, a MotoGP development bike, you know, so many things you're like, ooh, I hope this, this part stays alive, you know. And with the Yamaha, um, basically they're not much safer. So the, the first target is it cannot break down. And uh, so that is, I think, also one of the reasons why they are a little bit slow in their development at the moment. And with Aprilia, everything is performance, performance, performance. And, and if something needs to be checked and prepared and the performance uh, improves, we're going to use it, point. And, and with Yamaha, it's like, mm, let's check, check, double check, double check. And then it comes back and then everybody else has it and you're running behind the, the line. And I think this is a little bit the best explanation how I experience uh, the support and, and the way of and the speed of thinking of Aprilia at the moment. I mean, in terms of talking of logistics, I mean, the Japanese, I know they have their European base, but when you were in Asia, mm -hmm. I mean, was there more in the way of interest or support or anything else coming through? No. no? So no. geographically, it makes no difference? No, make no difference, actually, okay. no. But Stan, what about like the human side then? Because um, you must be dealing with people who are working in a very intense schedule, um, a lot of traveling, um, there must be considerations coming into that, people's families, situations, uh, yeah. as well as their professional yeah. requirements. I mean, like we did a thing this year where on a back-to-back -back races, especially the triples, some people go home after the first one, some people say, because you can't send everybody home because there's too much to, to do. And then the next ones, the people who didn't go home before or go home and then come back on the Wednesday, you just have to kind of, yeah, sense how the people are a little bit, you know, some people's not too bothered about going home, they'd rather just stay out. But you kind of get to know that over a period of time. It's hard to, to judge that in the first couple of races, but over the year you get to, and if someone is not happy, they do tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying, your, your job must be, or well, you as well, Wilco, my door is always open, you know, or my phone is always on. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, you have to be very sensitive to the, to the, the messages or the, the feelings of the team. Yeah. It's a, yeah, you get to know the people quite quickly because 
I don't know, we spend more time with some people here than you do uh, with the people at home, right? So, yeah. Yeah, it's true. You, it's you, true. And all. It's kind of in your own interest to get on as well. You know, that's a quite a big thing that everybody's got to stick together. But also the interaction that, that we understand that, um, yeah, for example, from Barcelona, you fly easy direct. From Amsterdam, you fly easy direct. For those boys, it's not so easy to fly direct from England. You know, there always is an early flight because you have to leave on the Tuesday because if they leave on the Wednesday, they are late there. So you need to be flexible at some tracks where they can arrive a little bit later. So we are anticipating that. And I think that's what he means as well to give them. Eh? They don't need to be there uh, Tuesday evening uh, in Silverstone, for example, or Essen or, you know, you need to... Uh, yeah, point, pick point your uh, moments where they should be early or they can be a little bit later on do track. Have, do you have to cater for any um, strange requests from Wilco for his travel habits? Maybe he has to sit in row 11 or the window nah, seat every time? No, Wilco's quite easy. <laughs> some, some of the others have got a few he just He just left the building. <laughs> <laughs> as long as he's got his lie down bed and he's not two stops, that's all that matters, isn't it? That. No, to be honest, this year has been all right. I don't, it's been quite, uh, well, I don't want to jinx it because obviously we fly to Montegi tonight, but it's, it's been not too bad, like, we'll keep, we'll keep plodding on. Uh, what about coming to India and the visa situation? Was that a major headache for you? No, we got lucky. I got on one week before. I was just missing one, which we got on the Sunday before we left. But no, we was lucky with that. Yeah. I know it's, it can be a major problem and it's not particularly pleasant to deal with, but when you kind of look back on it afterwards, does it feel like, well, that was part of the story of my job, you know? It's not yeah. nine to five, Monday to Friday, more or less the same thing. There's, you know, that kind of variety I think, is... I think that's why once you get into it, it's difficult to actually leave it because not every day is the same. Every day is something uh, different. And like, if you think, all oh, right, I've not got so much on with that today, you'll go and help the guys a little bit inside or think what can we make better for uh, for next year or you know what I mean there's, there's never there's no point in like sitting down and waiting for the day to go by if we're away we might as well do something use the time you yeah. know what I mean it's also as the season comes to an end I guess everyone's in the same has the same mentality but for you I, I know it's certainly the case for me but when you get the provisional calendar you start thinking right shit, Aragon's on the schedule next year. I've got to find somewhere that's not going to be an hour and a half drive every day. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess as soon as you get a sniff of the dates, yeah. you're going to have to think already about 2024. Yeah. Yeah, as I say, 2024 is always, probably after the summer break is the main, is the main thinking about, about that. But saying that, of course, then it's important to have an agency behind like Tours or Fast or one of those boys that already is planning and booking for you as well, because we're not booking directly ourselves everything. They, they are a big support, they know what we want. And as soon as the calendar is coming out, they already have their, uh, yeah. Their the allocation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To, yeah. to try and find 30 rooms a weekend for somebody like us without having an agency behind you is impossible. You know what I mean? You'd, you'd be an hour away every weekend at least. Like, so you have to, well, they do a good job and you have to trust them to say, right, this is what we want. So it's not directly your fault when I'm trying to find accommodation and there's nothing left. No. Okay. <laughs> we can continue the podcast now. <laughs> um, listen, I'm going to ask both of you. I'm putting you on the spot. Tell me a good sort of travel story, you know, and maybe not Oof. from this year, but, you know, the last couple of years where you thought, 
well, I, I'm, I'm actually in the paddock. Maybe you walked in and kissed the floor like I actually made it here. I mean, was this something? So we say the, the Lombok story from Stuart on oh, the back of the scooter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what about, um, I know, the, the theme of sustainability, you know, trying to be efficient, you know, moving a whole MotoGP team around the world. Um, does that come into the planning at all? Or is, is there a discussion about it? Do you guys try to make any effort where you can? Yeah, it, it's not easy. They, they, they do like this, they're trying to bring that kind of thing into it. And they're saying, I oh, would prefer you to use X mode of transport or this mode of transport or less cars or bigger buses. It's not easy though, you know what I mean? It, yeah, everybody's mentality has got to change. We all understand that, but to do it overnight is not a simple process. You know, you, we, we've got to bear, bear it in the back of your mind and think, right, okay, we'll reduce two cars this year, for example, at each race. But to get the guys on board to do that, because everybody's got to leave at different times, everybody's got to do, like in the morning, yeah, everybody, no, nobody wants to come early, but we have to come early. So you just have to, yeah, the intention is there, but yeah. it's still going to take some time before, you know, maybe we do have a fleet, or MotoGP has a fleet of a electric trucks that's taking freight yeah, to the airports or whatever, whatever kind of gesture you can make, really. But I think that the, the big gesture at the minute is the freight, because we reduced the amount of aeroplanes they use for the freight with the new uh, system. So that's a big step uh, already. And I think, yeah, regarding going forward, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's a long process. I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I mean, you guys have been moving and working and, and traveling for such a long time, but does it ever impress you sometimes when you see everything broken down? I mean, I'm always leaving here late on a Sunday night and to see MotoGP essentially reduced to a game of Tetris where everybody moving these blocks around to fit into the next stage of the travel is, is always impressive, always. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll be impressed if we get the freight at one o'clock on Wednesday. And, uh, <laughs> I think even I'll say well done, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, also another thing, of course, we, we always wanted to look better and better, but of course we also, uh, yeah, create uh, problems, you know, for, for example, the carpets, you know, we bring carpets around because we need to look nice and tidy, but you can only use it once. And uh, now we are thinking, uh, how can we use carpet twice, <laughs> you know, for the other overseas? But we normally send them by sea shipment and uh, yeah, use plastic is also not a real option. Just paint the floor is probably the best. But uh, anyway, we, we are looking into it, but uh, yeah, we also need to realize that uh, we are not, yeah, creating here the most healthiest environment on the planet anyway with racing these motorcycles you know yeah noise emissions whatever else yeah but, i mean that's a good point actually Wilco. i mean stan you must also have to talk with a lot of suppliers a lot of companies offering you different materials um even when it comes down to basic things like uh, presentation and aesthetics yeah i mean there's certain companies which if you look around most people use and you get to know them over the years and y y y things get you know what i mean your ideas get put across or you see somebody else has an idea and you ring them and say, hey, we need that for next year or whatever. You know what I mean? You, sometimes you have got to say other teams have good ideas and maybe somebody sees something that we do and think, oh, yeah, that's not a bad idea. So if everybody kind of uses two or three different companies, it's easier to 
get those ideas across, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and you have a common standard as well, yeah. I guess, you know, so you know if something's quality for someone, it's going to be quality for you as yeah. well. So. Yeah, that's the thing. Like. So it's not just devices and other little innovative things on the bikes, Wilco, there's a, you know, quite a bit of... Yeah, there's a lot, go in the there's a lot going on, this is, this is true. So, uh, but anyway, as I said, we are racing bikes and uh, if you see uh, the faces from the riders when they finished a MotoGP race, you know, for example, they're completely black from the carbon, you know what I mean? So this is not really healthy either, you know? So <laughs> it's always a bit like, uh, where are we going to with how many people and what are we doing there? So anyway, this whole scene uh, is not, not uh, yeah, fantastic for that. Well, it's not as easy as it seems, and it's amazing what the team does behind the scenes to stand. And uh, Wilco, thanks ever so much for your time. Um, this has been another RNF Unlocked podcast. We've got more episodes coming up in the next couple of rounds. So to be sure to comment on what you hear about. Until then, arigato for listening, and uh, good luck to the team. Thank you very much. Cheers. <laughs>